Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. I think on your note sheet, on the back side of your bulletin, I've given you several scripture references, and we're going to kind of sprint through. We're jumping all over the the scriptures uh, this morning in our uh, our study uh, together. While you're getting ready, I just wanted to catch you up on a couple of things. John had mentioned our offering to one of our mission partners. Uh, I wanted to give you the the, uh, update on our Christmas offering. Uh, as last count, we had exceeded $194,000 to give away. Yes, that's fantastic. It's great. And, um, uh, so we, uh, we were just, what's that? I can't do math. We're just about, uh, 8,000 shy of our goal, less than 8,000 shy of our goal, which is incredible. You, you gave, uh, across December in the first few days of January, uh, almost an additional full one month's average offerings to the church to give away, to give away, to fund our ministry, the Real Life Center, to help them, and also to uh, uh, kind of pre-fund and and raise the level of our weekly love offering that we call the Second Corinthians offering, that we give away to uh, help other organizations share the love of Christ. So what a great, great, great thing. You know, for over 25 years, I keep thinking about our church and word pictures to try to describe our our congregation. Uh, sometimes to myself, sometimes ways to keep uh, our mission and purpose uh, before you and before the community. This past week, I was thinking about our church, and and one of my uh, uh, one of my uh, uh, children's stories came to mind. Uh, that reminded me of our church, and it was the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Anybody here not know Goldilocks and the Three Bears? You know, I, my favorite scene was when in that story is when uh, the bear Goldilocks is coming through the, uh, and she finds the table and the the porridge, and the first one is what? Too hot. Say it with me. Too hot. Too hot. Too hot. And then the next one was what? Too cold. And the next one was what? Just right. We do that in our response to our music here. Almost every week, I get this stack of communication cards addressed to me. Most of them are anonymous, you gutless wonders. So you just need to know, I don't take those very seriously. If somebody doesn't sign something, I just kind of laugh and throw it in the trash. But it is a laugh. You gutless wonders. Sign your cards. Sign your cards. I'm not going to think less of you. I probably won't think more of you either. But, uh, but, but sometimes people will say, the music's too hot. It's too loud. Got one. Uh, and, uh, others, and sometimes, one day, one day I had appointments. One person came in to made an appointment to talk to me that the music was too loud. Guess what? My, I had another appointment following them. In Jesus' name. They came to complain that we were just getting too, toning it down way too much. And they were serious. Most of you say it's, the vast majority say it's just right. Um, and so um, one of the things that I've 
done is we got earplugs. You know, I just stick them right in there, and if I don't like it, and and so we're offering you free earplugs. Now, that might not be the greatest big biblical theological solution to this dilemma, but it's one. And so every, every, when you come into the auditorium, there'll be a basket by the door. If you want earplugs, get them. How's that? How's that? Okay. Now, for you guys that need, need it, to, it's, it's too soft. I don't know what to do with y'all yet, but we'll, we'll work on that. So uh, all, church world is just really a, a fun place. It is. It's interesting. It is str- uh, there was a book written years ago, Jack Smith, I believe it was back in the 60s, and the title of the book was written for pastors, and it was this, Church is Stranger Than Fiction. But it's a wonderful life together as a family, trying to keep the family going together. Well, we are in our third week of a series called Deliver Us From Evil. Uh, it's not uh, too difficult to think of a story that shows the reality of evil in this world from natural disasters to national tragedies to personal crises. Uh, we, we see it, and we see it that it is pervasive. Uh, we have talked about in the last two weeks kind of the big picture view. Uh, the, we, we dealt with two weeks ago the problem of evil. If God is all-powerful and if God is altogether good, how in the world can he let evil exist in the world? That doesn't seem to match up. We, we dealt with that question. You can go back and listen to that one. Last week, we talked about God's response to the suffering that evil causes. It, we kind of dealt with the question there, um, you know, where is God when evil happens? What we're asking is, what, what's God? Does he respond to evil at all? You can go back and listen to that one online, or I sub- suggest that you subscribe to our podcast, and it'll come to you uh, each, each week. But you know, the, um, the greatest evil in the world is not that you or one of your loved ones would be harmed physically somehow. Uh, by by an evil, wicked person, or by a natural disaster, or something. that that's that's evil. It's not good. It's not fun. It's it's not uh, it's it's not one of those things. The greatest the greatest evil, and the aim of evil, the source of evil, is to keep you from knowing God. There's no greater. There's no greater. That is that is evil's ultimate goal to keep you from being saved, to keep you from coming to faith in Christ and trusting in Him and, and, and being redeemed by Him and having His gift of abundant life here and eternal life there. If, if evil can keep you somehow distracted from knowing Christ, it, it, it wins. He wins. It wins. That is the greatest act of evil. It's part of what Jesus meant when He said, don't fear Him who can kill the body, fear Him who can cast the soul in hell. You know, this is not all there is. Now, we are to combat the results of evil in this world. We're to be salt and light and, uh, and, and to make this world a better place. But, but the results of evil in this world, the physical uh, suffering, the horrible things that other peop- want people do to each other, um, all of, that's, not, that's not the greatest evil in the world. And so we're shifting today to, to deal with 
your personal battle with evil, my personal battle with evil. Now, when we, when we couch it in these terms, we tend to think about the, uh, the sensational evil. And you start thinking about movies like The Exorcist and how am I going to keep demons from, you know, we start looking for demons under every bush and all that kind of stuff. Listen, listen, that's not the biggest deal. The, bi- the biggest deal is if God can, if the evil can keep you from coming to know God, and if you already do know God, if you already saved, if he can distract you and destroy your life, cause you to fall into sin so that you lose your witness, you lose your credibility, uh, maybe you get discouraged and, and you get separated from fellowship with God in this life. He wants to destroy your life. That is the greatest source of evil. And that you and I are under constant attack to make that happen. If those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, uh, evil has you right where it wants you. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, the aim of evil is to cause you to fall away from God. Got it? Now, how do we keep that from happening? How do we keep that from happening? we, we become aware of our battle with evil. Now, make no mistake about it. The battle with evil will be a part of our lives for as long as we are on this planet. It will be. Uh, but we can experience, to a large measure, a success, victory, a win over over evil. Uh, One of the writers said it this way, we can win a good number of the battles as we look forward to the day that Jesus will put an end to the war. One day he'll put an end to the war. But in the meanwhile, we can win a large number of the battles. Listen to these scripture passages. Take a look at them on the screen. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4, everyone who is a child of God conquers the world. Now that means the world thought and value system, the without God culture that constantly has a, has a powerful, subversive, gravitational pull to deceive you and move you away from God and the things of God. But everyone who's a child of God conquers the world thought and value system. And, and how? This is the victory or this is the win or here's where success comes from that conquers the world. Our faith. Our faith in Christ. Look at the next one, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority with the cross. He won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless. They were powerless. Christ's work on the cross uh, defeated the principalities and powers. Of the air. 1 Corinthians 15 57 says this, but we thank God He gives us the victory or He gives us the win over evil. He gives us the win through our Lord Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, the Bible says it this way Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. Now, uh, today, We're going to introduce that it'll be this week, next week, and the final week. We're going to take three weeks to drill down on your personal battle with evil and how to win my personal battle with evil and how to win. And it starts today by, uh, by understanding and practicing and grasping and choosing three attitudes. Here they are. Be alert, be humble, and be confident. You can win. I mean, you can win over the influence and the subversive and even the frontal attacks of evil 
to destroy you physically, to pull you away from God, to cause you to lose faith in the one uh, that is faithful. You can win uh, your personal battle with evil, first of all, by being alert. Write that down. Write that down. Write down the word alert. You see, blissful ignorance is not the road to a win. Take a look at the screen. You may be like this guy. Let's leave it up there a second. Now, don't make no make no mistake about it that a that a successful follower of Jesus uh, does not march under the banner of the ostrich, with our head in the sand and our tail in the air. It's Im- it's impossible to win over evil by uh, by hiding your spiritual head in the sand and pretending that there's not a problem. Pretending that evil does not exist. Now let's, let's go back to big pervasive evil for just a second. It's interesting to me that we Americans and even we American Christians uh, specifically get, uh, tend to get more upset that people make us aware of evil than we do that evil exists. It happens all the time. For example, we get upset that someone would show us uh, an image of the remains of an aborted baby. That somehow that's wrong. You should, don't show me that's upsetting. You shouldn't show me that. We, we get upset when someone describes clearly the commercial sexual exploitation of a young girl here in Atlanta. Uh, we get upset when people talk about the fact that the average American boy is exposed to graphic pornography. Now, the average age now, a national, latest national studies show, uh, they are exposed to graphic pornography at the age of five on their own mom and dad's computer. On mom and dad's computer. We get, we get upset when that's talked about. We, we, don't, we don't want people to say those words in church. We don't want people to, because it, 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 it upsets us, it disturbs us. Well, it should disturb us. It should ruin our sleep. It should break our hearts. It could cause, should cause us to be frantic. It should cause us to change the way we live and what we do and how we pray. It should do that. It should do that. It should disturb us. It should make us uncomfortable. But we tend to get more upset uh, that evil is called to our attention than we do over the fact that it's present and active. Uh, Heads in the sand, tails in the air. Now, the Bible gives us two powerful word pictures to help us be alert and to be aware. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. Here's the first picture. We live behind enemy lines. Uh, We live in occupied territory as believers. Uh, We have a lot of of, uh, active and and a lot of uh, former military people here. I'm just curious. I I don't know the answer to this question. Were any of you ever dropped behind enemy lines? I'm just, were you? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, You know, when a soldier is dropped behind enemy lines, they become quite alert. They become very alert. They become attentive. They become watchful. They become alert. They cannot afford to grow comfortable with their surroundings because in every encounter there is the potential for discovery and disaster. At every, and in a spiritual sense, we as believers live behind enemy lines. We live in occupied territory currently in this world uh, with the evil one and the without God culture. We are in a tough spot. Here's what the Bible says about it. Take a look at the screen. 1 John 5, 
19, we know that we belong to God even though the whole world is under the rule of the evil one. We, we're, we're behind enemy lines currently. Won't always be, but we are now. Now, some deal with this truth by hiding out as, uh, from the world as much as possible. Let's, let's, we want our church to be a fortress church where we get away from the big bad world and we don't want to hear about it, we don't want it to touch us. We create our own subculture. We have Christian this and Christian that to imitate uh, the culture and, and we hide, we don't, we don't have contact with it. That's not the way God would have us live. That's like going spiritually AWOL. But Jesus prays for us. Listen to this, John 17. It's going to be on the screen. My prayer is not that to God, is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. You see, we have a job to do in this occupied territory. He's not going to take us out. not going to take us out. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. All of you who are believers, followers of Jesus, you've been sent. You're on mission in the world. That, that means... If you find that you're the only believer in your office, don't pray that God would move you. He put you there. If you're the only believer on your team, don't don't pray that God would put you on a team of all Christians. Stay there. He put you there. He put you there. He, He sent us into the world. And... uh So let's be there. Let's get after it. Let's do that. Uh, We're behind enemy lines, so stay, but stay alert. Here's another word picture. Pastor John Warnock mentioned this one two weeks ago, Uh, and it's this one. He says, Satan is a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The first rule of lion trainers I have found this week, kind of drilling down on this, is this first thing they learn is this, never turn your back on the cat. I mean, that's pretty good first advice. I wouldn't have any trouble with that. I'm not even going to turn my face. I'm not getting in there. But, uh, but uh, he says, don't, don't do that. By, now, by God's grace and strength, we as believers can face the lion without fear. There's no need to fear the evil one. There's no need to fear the evil one, but we must face him. We have no choice. We must be aware of the fact that Satan intends to ruin our lives, to destroy us if he can. And he's darn good at it. Uh, now, and... and you may notice that he, he's so good at it that he typically doesn't show up as a lion. He, he did, typically doesn't do frontal attacks. I mean, even Mitch Ryder in the Detroit Wheels understood that. You know, I said, sometimes the devil shows up with a blue dress on. Remember that song? Pretty good theology there. Devil with the blue dress on. Yeah. So stay alert. Stay alert. And you can win your battle over evil. That's the start, guys. That's the start. Don't have your head in the sand. Second, you can win your personal battle with evil uh, by also being humble. Write down that word. Humble. Humble. It's amazing how powerful the attitude of humility is in defeating evil. Now, when we have the attitude of humility, one aspect of humility means that, that God creates us with a kind of character so that we think, of our, we think about ourselves less and less. It's not, that we don't, it's not that we think less of ourselves 
is that we think of ourselves less. We become selfless instead of self-ish. Uh, but there's also another aspect of, of humility that describes how we are to relate to God. And that simply means that we're aware of, of our need for God. Uh, take a look at this. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says it this way. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, a haughty spirit before a fall. Take a look at the screen, General Custer. Anybody here have never heard of Custer's Last Stand? You don't, you haven't had that in history yet? Almost everybody, almost everybody here. He was one of the great, one of the greatest and most famous military defeats in U.S. history is that of General George Custer. He, by the way, was the youngest man. I think it's still true. Some, some of you guys and gals in the military may uh, correct me now, but at least as of just a few years ago, he still held the record of uh, the youngest man to ever be given the rank of general in the United States Army. I mean, he's, he was a shooting star. He became kind of a rock star of the military world in his day. Uh, it serves as an example of the dangers of human pride. The day after his defeat... The New York Times ran an article about the defeat. And here's what it says. I think I've got it on the screen. Do we? Did I put that? Maybe it's a little bit too much. Here, let me read it for you. So far as an expression in regard to the wisdom of General Custer's attack could be obtained at headquarters, it was to the effect that Custer had been imprudent, to say the least. The movement made by Custer is censured to some extent at military headquarters in this city. The older officers say that it was brought about by that foolish pride which so often results in the defeat of men. It seems that a few days before, General Terry had offered four additional companies to Custer, but he refused them. Wow. Pride is pride's even more dangerous in the spiritual realm. Uh, where, where it always results in defeat. It always results in defeat. And we would need to recognize we don't have the power in and of ourselves to, to defeat the evil one, to defeat the without God uh, culture, uh, or to our own flesh. We, we, we don't have it within us in and of ourselves uh, to do that. And so... Uh, don't be a spiritual custer who proudly wants the credit and honor for yourself and lose the battle. Here's what God has to say to us in James chapter 4. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at the circle the verbs in that sentence. By the way, one of the great asides when you're studying or reflecting or meditating on scripture, uh, look, draw circles around all the verbs in the passage. They're powerful words uh, that will give you insight. These are some things that we're to do. Submit yourselves. Resist the devil. I mean, that, that speaks of action. That speaks of choice. That speaks of intentionality. That speaks of being uh, on purpose. Be on purpose there. And so in every case, you and I start by resisting Satan and submitting to God. We resist him. So how do you resist him? You tell him. You talk to him. You say, really? You talk to him? Yeah. Martin Luther, the great reformer, 
He talked to him all the time. He would insult him. He would rebuke him. One time he felt like he was bothering him so much when he's trying to study that he picked up an inkwell and threw it at him. And you can go to his residence and see the ink stain on the wall where Martin Luther famously threw uh, an inkwell at the evil one, figuratively. I mean, I mean you, you resist him. Say, I'm not listening to you. I'm not paying attention to you. Get out of here. And I'm submitting myself unto the Lord. Do that. Now, you can either go against Satan in your own power or submit to God and rely on his strength. Now, you might be saying, now, pastor, pastor, and I hear this all the time, I don't, now, I don't need God for every little thing. I'll just come to him with the big things. Is that okay? No. I mean, think about what you just said. Think about the first words of your sentence. Pastor, I don't need God. That's, what, that's how that sentence begins. Don't ever say that. You're never correct when you say that. You need him at every point. That is called pride, and it's foolish pride when it comes to your personal battle with evil. You and I do need God. We need him all the time. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 5. Read it out loud with me. Ready? Here we go. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Say it again. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, in the Greek, original language, that word nothing means like nothing. You know, and the, the longer I live, the more I realize he, 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 he's literal there. I mean, I live and breathe because of his grace. We can do nothing, nothing without him. We need him. If we're going to win our personal battle with evil, we need to stay humble and acknowledge our need of God. Now, the Bible teaches this. It teaches that you and I have gone our own way. We have gone astray from God. And we are therefore sinful. We are sinful and therefore we sin. Um, we have sinful hearts that have separated us from God and that cause us uh, to, to think, even as believers, uh, this thing of still growing in our faith, it, that to realize we still need a Savior. If we find ourselves uh, living and thinking and acting as if we have no need of God, which in, when in truth we are weak and we are powerless against evil in our current condition... Uh, we need a Savior. We need God. I mean, it reminds me of the, the old great hymn, I Need Thee. You know that one? How many of you know that one? I Need Thee. We got the words for that. You know this one? Here's the chorus. Sing it with me. Just, just quietly. Ready? I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. It's a pretty good song to sing under your breath all day long. Why don't you make that a discipline this week? Why don't you just make that the tune that's on your heart? Let that be the prayer that's on your heart. Hum it as you're going down the hall. Sing it when you're in the car. Make it your prayer. I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Do that. Do that. We need God. Stay humble. Stay humble. The Bible says that we need to be careful where we stand lest we fall. Not long ago, not long ago, a, a prominent pastor fell morally, made the news all over again, and it became public that he was having a sexual affair. Another tragedy. Later that week, one of the men in my church, a dear friend, took me to breakfast. And he brought that up. Here's what he said to me. 
He said, Pastor, a bunch of us were having coffee Saturday morning, and we were talking about this, and we, we said we were really glad that we didn't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff with you, our pastor. And I said, yes, you do. And you do. You do. I mean, the very, at any moment when I begin to think that I'm not in trouble, that I am beyond the snares of the evil one, when I am beyond the capacity to commit the most terrible, destructive, sinful behavior, I am most likely to fall. Pray for me. Pray for our pastors. I mean, the Bible says do that's one of the reasons you're to pray for us, that we don't crash and burn morally, spiritually, ethically. And so do you. You do have to worry about it. Be careful where you stand lest you fall. When we're not careful, we're being prideful. We're not being what? Humble. Humble. You can win your battle over evil if you stay alert. Humble. And here's the third word. Confident. Confident. Write down that word confident. Now you say, well, pastor, can you be humble and confident at the same time? Of course. Certainly you can. That's, that's the description of the healthy Christian life. Humble and confident. We, being humble means I'm not trusting in myself. Being confident means I am trusting in Christ. Humble, I'm not trusting in myself. Confident, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in Him. That's called faith. Confidence is called faith. Confidence is called trust. Confidence is called dependence upon Jesus. Confidence is called reliance. Confidence is called assurance. I mean, you don't have to be going through this world with your knees knocking spiritually and you're nervous and afraid and always afraid that something's going to happen. To... No, 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 no. You can live life with great confidence in Jesus Christ because you don't trust in yourself. You trust in Him. You trust in Him. You can be confident. You should be confident. You must be confident. We can be confident in God because of three things. His presence, His promise, and His answer to our prayers. Listen to this. Write down this, this, this point. You, you can first of all be confident in your personal battle with evil because of God's presence. Write down God's presence in your notes there. You know, as a young married man and college student, I was aware of the temptations and the attempts of Satan to destroy my life. And one day I was kind of burdened by that, and I'd left class, and I was on my way to my afternoon job. And uh, just before, I I got there a little early, so I picked up my Bible I kept on the seat by me, and I turned it to the passage, my read the Bible through passage that day, and it happened to be the little book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Here's the verse I read. Take a look at it. Here's what it said. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And immediately I was just blindsided. I was overwhelmed by a great sense of confidence and peace and trust in Christ and in uh, the sense of God's presence. You can be confident because of the presence of Christ In your life, he is greater than he who is in the world. You can be confident also in your battle with evil because of God's promise. Write down that phrase, God's promise, God's promise. And here is his promise, Romans 16, verse 20. Take a look at it. 
Romans 16, 20. Did I include that one? Maybe not. Let me read it to you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He's promised one day he's going to end the battle. One day he's going to end the war. And you can be confident in your battle with evil one more time because God answers your prayers. And here's the prayer we pray. It's in the title of the series, Matthew 6, 13. Say it with me. Here we go. And lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. That's a prayer. That's a prayer. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lead me. Put you in there. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. The Lord Jesus told us to pray with confidence. He taught us to pray confidently in this matter. And he would not have taught us to pray this if he would not answer the prayer. Is it God's will that he deliver you from the evil one? Yeah. And so if, if you pray a prayer that is according and in alignment with God's will and His ways as revealed in Scripture, can you have confidence that He'll answer that prayer? Yes. Yes. He says th- in that same little book of 1 John, he says, this is the confidence that we have before God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in what we've asked of Him, we know that we have the request that we've asked for. So you can pray with confidence. Listen, stay alert, stay humble, stay confident. Now, that's the starting point of winning your personal confrontation with evil. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Those of you who are followers of Christ, here's just a practical action step here. Ready? Here we go. Some of you have just been unaware. You've been naive. You've been unsuspecting. In other words, you've been not alert. You're the believer with your head in the sand, well, get your head out of the sand. Uh, read the Scriptures. Become aware of what God says about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and your ne- first step is actively say, today, I'm going to begin this week actively resisting Satan. I'm going to actively resist him. I'm going to tell him that I am. You can address him. He is a being. He's not a force. Actively resist him. So if people hear me, they'll think I'm crazy. Well, then don't let them hear you. But do you do it? You just know your pastor does it all the time. So, you know, join me. I'm nuts. So, uh, but that's what the scripture says. So actively, that's your, that's your action point this week. Actively resist Satan. Uh, if you happen to be arrogant and smug and you realize you're self-reliant, not humble, you've not been admitting your need for Jesus, then here's what you do. You admit your need for Jesus and you submit yourself to God. Uh, Moment by moment, as you go through your day, why don't you begin to say, Lord, I, I, I need you every hour. It's that little chorus. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. And I'm giving myself to you. I can't do this without you. But with you, I can. With you, I can. Great confidence. Maybe you're insecure and apprehensive and you're shaky in your faith, not confident. Then here's what you do. Memorize, jot down this reference, it's, it's circle it, it's on your notes, the one we just read, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Memorize that and meditate on that this week. Got it? Got it? Now do those things, do those things. It's the way to put this into practice uh, and gain the benefit from it. Now for those of you who are uh, far from God, maybe. Maybe you've been ignoring Christ. Maybe you've been hostile to Christ in God. 
Uh, Maybe you've been exploring Christ. You've been checking it out. Here's what I would urge you to do. I mean, you don't have a leg to stand on right now when it comes to evil succeeding in your life. And remember, what I meant by that is the ultimate evil is to keep you from knowing Christ and the abundant and eternal life that He gives. And right now, He's got you right where He wants you. Please, commit yourself to Jesus. Put your trust in Him. Turn from your self-driven life And put your trust in Jesus and what he accomplished when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And ask him to apply it to you personally. Say, I'm a sinful person in need of a Savior. And I believe you are that Savior. And and to the, the best of your understanding, commit your life and your eternity into his hands. There's no magic words. That's the, but that's the attitude of your heart. And he said that he will, he will do that. He will immediately save you, forgive you, redeem you, come into your life, adopt you as a child of God, give you his gift of eternal life, and many, many more things immediately. Let me encourage you to do that. Finally, let me see your eyes, all of you. One more thing I want to encourage you to do. Many of you are in a a life adult life group here. Good, stay there. Those of you who are not, sign up for one. Sign up for one. Whatever you do, Sign up for one because I don't think it's in the Bible. Where, who was it said there's strength in numbers? I don't think the Bible said that, but we should staple it in the back <laughs> because that's one of the reasons God gives us fellowship. Uh, you're not intended to face all this stuff alone. There's strength in numbers. There's strength in fellowship. It's one of the reasons our life group exists to help each other in our battle with evil get in a group. Well, let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.